0: Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Scott Rothschild with KSV and I'm here with Mark Tallman. And uh, in the uh, uh, spirit of back to school, we're going to have a back to school uh, video and podcast. Uh, we've seen lots of great pictures uh, on Twitter and social media of kids going back to school. Mark, you've written uh, a series of blogs that deal with a lot of the issues uh, that uh, policymakers and teachers and administrators are facing uh, in this new school year. And uh, I thought maybe you could just kind of set the stage uh, for what's new uh, this school year as far as public policy in kansas
1: well i think there is a lot of excitement as we start another school year and Mm -hmm. i think most districts are probably started or are very close so it's always an exciting time and and you know we thought we'd begin and and again in the blogs we talk about the beginning that there are some really exciting things going on uh evolving the the new resources that the legislature has provided and the fact that our schools are really embracing uh, the idea of redesign and improvement to try to help more kids be successful Mm -hmm. so we know just a couple things uh, and of course you're aware of these too so add anything if you think i forget it you know this this year starting now is the second year in a row mm-hmm. where districts have had fairly substantial increases in in base state aid funding from the legislature after after about an eight-year period where where funding was really falling behind inflation or at best just just kind of frozen um uh, and and that has allowed districts to begin uh adding teacher salaries bringing back some positions. So resources are very different. The legislature has also adopted a plan that would continue Mm -hmm. to schedule four more years Mm -hmm. of base state aid increases in response to the court. And the Kansas Supreme Court has tentatively signed off on that with kind of the caveat of a belief that there needs to be some adjustment for inflation. Mm -hmm. The court really said that seems to be the right amount of money that you're putting in. But if you want to take Four or five years to implement it. You have to recognize inflation, and that was their major concern. The state board has implemented a new accreditation system, uh, kind of starting last year. Uh, they the very first systems were kind of piloted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's getting more serious as districts start to use this, and it really aligns well with the kind of a broader vision of what students need to be successful. Um, we have had seven districts that were chosen as part of the the Mercury School and then another group of Gemini schools that are opening wholly redesigned programs right. this fall around the state in kind of a pilot basis. And of course many other schools are, ad- are and have been adopting new programs, um, again, that, that focus on a more individualized plan of study for, for students that look, you know, really beyond test scores. And, and what does it take for the child to be healthy, successful mentally and physically? How do you do a better job of thinking about what you want to do with the rest of your life and preparing mm-hmm. to be successful, uh, after you leave big focus on that this year uh, students will be able for the first time to take the act test for free or to take the work keys test mm-hmm. which is kind of a workplace competency test for free we're expecting that to really boost participation um, and then you know the last thing is uh, and that's what really kind of prompted this the state Department of Education has updated a new measure that they call the Post-Secondary Progress Report uh, that really talks about how districts are doing, looking a couple years out in having kids going into post-secondary education uh, in response to jobs. I think we're going to talk a little more detail about that. But that, we're now the second year, kind of the first revision, and it shows some progress moving up. So those are all some pretty good things that are happening right now.
0: Well, all those are positives. And of course, there's other things going on, and and, and uh, your your blog and these blogs are available at uh, Talman, K-A-S-B, uh, dot, blogspot, dot Just just com.
1: Google Tallman Education Report. There you go, and it should come up.
0: And uh, the, these have a wealth of information. This is great information to have. Uh, especially now during the, the election season when you hear a lot of different things about education. But you've gone over all these these, these positive things uh, that are uh, in our Kansas school system now, and but there are some concerns on the horizon.
1: Well, the two big things that I think we are really trying to stress, and I think this is the whole message behind the Kansans Can vision and everything mm-hmm. else, there are good things happening. Kansas continues to, to do well with most students. But we know we are not producing enough kids right now sort of in the pipeline for what future jobs are expected to need. Mm-hmm. Um, we are moving into an environment where most new jobs are going to take not just a high school diploma, but but a some type of credential beyond that, whether it is a technical certificate. In fact, I think the estimates for Kansas is that over 70 percent of, mm-hmm. of new jobs, jobs in the future, 2020 and beyond, are going to require more than high school, about half of those, a four-year degree or more, about half of those less than four sure. years. So an associate's degree or a technical certificate, the point is they're going to require more, and we are not producing students uh, on, on schedule to do that. Um, the other thing is, although Kansas has traditionally still done better than most states, and it's important to note, we are mo- we are at a higher level than we've ever been. It's just not keeping up with an ever-moving target. We're also starting to see that. Some Some states are moving ahead of us. What the blog talks about is information we get from the U.S. Census Bureau, something called the American Community Survey. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the American Community Survey, and these in part are estimates. This is from the census, but these are estimates they are provided for every state. What we did was look at um, for Kansas and other states the educational attainment of of state residents between 18 and 24 years old so you're basically talking about that part of the population that is just graduated from high school up through age 24 so think of them as young adults think of those that would be in the traditional college years of course as we know more and more you know college participation often does not does not end at age 24 but so the census tells us for every state the percent of the population that has not finished high school in that age group basically kids who through age or people through age 24 haven't finished high school if you have what is called some college which means basically you've anything from you've enrolled and taken a couple of classes to you finished a one year certificate or. A two-year degree. And then the third category uh, is the percent of the of that population that has finished a four-year degree. Mm-hmm. Now, by definition, that's not going to be very many, because remember, we're talking about an age group. So that includes 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds who almost couldn't have finished a four-year degree unless they're, they're exceptionally advanced. So let's kind of look at what has happened over basically the last 10 years. And again, we often hear this question of saying, well, is education improving, are we Mm -hmm. doing better? From 2005 to 2016, which Mm -hmm. is the most recent data, high school completion in that age group uh, went from 84.3 to 87.5 some college participation went from 51 basically 52% to almost 59% and four year degree completion went from 9.7 to 10.3 again that may not sound like much but that's mm-hmm. always going to be a small number mm-hmm. so the fact of the matter is over basically that 11 year period a larger number, a noticeably larger number of, of students uh, finished high school and then went on to some type of post secondary education. And in fact, any, uh, there was an improvement in the number of students that even finished a four year degree in that period of time. Mm-hmm. That's the good news. Right. We've shown improvement. The problem is that many other states have done better. And that's really the the, the, the point of the first blog. And I'm just going to read it. The bad news is that most other states have improved even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, the U.S. average for high school completion rose from basically 82 percent to 87 now just a half a percent below Kansas for the the whole country some college participation rose from forty six point six percent to fifty five point two percent that meant our lead over the rest of the country dropped from about five and a half percent to three point four and the national average from four-year college completion went from nine percent to ten point three so they tied us mm-hmm. so if you're just looking at the rest of the country although we have improved in general other states have, have included Increased even more here's a worrying part we went from eighth in the country in high school completion in 2005 to 24th
0: mm-hmm.
1: our post-secondary participation went from sixth we were a top 10 state as well to 13th and our four-year degree completion dropped from 18th to 19th mm-hmm. still above average but but more in the middle now Why do we think this is happening? Mm -hmm. Well, from our viewpoint, uh, a critical component has been resources or funding. You often hear this question put out there, and some people will say, "There's, there's no correlation between funding levels and academic results. We disagree. We will point out it is extremely difficult to ever prove causation, but one thing that is very clear is, in this period of time when we've fallen behind most states, we have also fallen behind most other states in terms of of funding. Between 2008-2016, our total revenue per pupil actually declined 4.9%, so about 5% falling behind inflation since 2005, while the U.S. average increased 2.5% among the plain states, and we look at this because plain states is kind of a a, a standard federal Mm -hmm. designation. Uh, It includes Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, Iowa, the Dakotas, and Minnesota. So uh, states in some way similar to Kansas, rather similar Mm -hmm. economies, similar demographics, and then we also include Colorado and Oklahoma because they're they're our neighbors. Uh, They're really rather similar funding patterns. Every state, except Oklahoma, had a larger Increase in per pupil funding than Kansas, and every state except Oklahoma increased more than Kansas in these categories. Mm -hmm. In other words, they didn't all move ahead of Kansas, but they had a bigger increase. The only state that had lower funding than Kansas in terms of change over this time, Oklahoma is also the only state that improved less than Kansas during this period of time. So, you know, it's sometimes worth thinking about in our region right now, Minnesota, North Dakota, Iowa, and Nebraska all spend more than Kansas and have better post-secondary results. Colorado, South Dakota, and Oklahoma spend less than Kansas, still have lower post-secondary participation results, although two of those states, uh, Colorado—I'm sorry, Colorado, South Dakota, uh, and Oklahoma all did a little bit better in terms of catching up with us. So that is one of the major concerns.
0: Well, I mean, I would urge everyone to, to read these blogs, and uh, as you say, I mean, the correlation— Uh, between funding and results uh, seems seems pretty strong Uh, and uh, so many of these studies that we see now talk about uh, the need to continue education after high school And uh, that is something that uh, the State Board of Education is really focusing on, and that's kind of the subject of your second blog, which deals with this uh, really kind of unique uh, post-secondary progress report that I believe Kent State Department of Education has put together. I don't know if anyone else in the country is focusing on that, but it's really interesting. And what does it show? I know. Mean.
1: well, it is—it's showing some progress, but it's quite different. It's interesting because it's trying to capture the same concepts, but it has very different data. So let's let's again, and this is available on the State Department of Education right. website. What is? The one difference to keep in mind is that the data we were just talking about is statewide data. Mm-hmm. So it allows Kansas to be compared to other states. This information is only available for Kansas, but it is available for every public high school and accredited, or I'm sorry, every, every public school district, <clears throat> excuse me, and accredited non-public system mm-hmm. so basically the the Catholic dioceses are the are the main ones that we could look at there um, and what it does is instead of looking at kids in an age group it looks at A graduating class, Mm -hmm. an age cohort, if you will. And so it basically has four components. First of all, it uses what is called the adjusted cohort graduation rate. So, in other words, it's really looking at saying, all right, for the class of, and the most recent year is 2016, so we'll just use that. Mm -hmm. The class of 2016, 86.1% of freshmen who entered four years before graduated within four years Mm -hmm. after you take out transfers in and out. so Mm -hmm. An adjustment is made for kids who leave, kids who come in, but of those students who were part of that system over four years, 86.1% of those students graduated. So so that's the starting point, a graduation rate. The second component is called the success rate or the post-secondary success rate. Again, here's where we get a little bit more complicated. What this is, is then the, the, it looks at high school graduates mm-hmm. who have either completed some type of degree, mm-hmm. whether it's a technical certificate, whether it is a, an associate's degree, or have been enrolled in a post-secondary program for those first two years after graduation. So, what we're looking at in class of 2016, we were able to measure those students who were enrolled as college students in 17 or 18. That's how we're able uh, to capture that. in in 2016, that number was 56.7. That's 56.7 percent of graduates. Now, you may wonder, well, where do we get this data? It comes from something called the National Student Clearinghouse, and it is designed to track students no matter where they go to college. So here we're looking at a district. So if we're looking at your school district, if you want to look at it that way, it's tracking the kids who graduated, whether they're in school in Kansas or not. Right. Now, there are a few uh, post-secondary institutions, colleges, mm-hmm. that don't send in the data. Mm-hmm. Most do, and what, what I'm told is this was actually developed to track student loans. Right. Uh, and so it, it's actually pretty, <laughs> it follows the money, that's the best way to put it. And, and, th- and, and that's why most institutions are participating in it, right. and the number is actually growing. So we start with the graduation rate, we look at the success rate, which is the the success, if you will, right. post secondary completion or continued enrollment of graduates. The final bit of data, or the third third bit of data, is called the effective rate, where you multiply the two together, because that is designed to say not just what percent of our graduates have been successful or mm-hmm. continuing in post-secondary education, but then we need to go back and factor out the kids who didn't graduate. Right. In effect, those were students, you might say, that, that we lost to the system. When you multiply those two together, you come up with the effective rate. So the the bottom line, drum roll, is mm-hmm. that we went from 44.5% in 2012 to 48.9% in 2016. Okay. So that is showing some improvement. Uh, obviously, people would like to have more improvement. Uh, obviously, that is well below a goal of 70% of 70 to 75% of kids needing some sort of post secondary credential. But it has shown movement, and it has taken place. All of this is data before the additional resources the legislature has provided. Mm-hmm. So basically, this improvement... Uh, noticeable but modest mm-hmm. took place over a period of time when school funding was basically flat or falling behind uh, in inflation. Um, so the final component of this uh, is that for every district or system, the the uh, state creates what is called the predicted effective rate. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a mathematical analysis that looks at a district in terms of what they call risk factors. The primary risk factor is student poverty. They also look at things like student mobility and absences um, because all the data tells us that for public and private schools alike, other school systems around the system, lower-income kids, children in poverty, tend not to do as well. Students with high mobility, in other words, changing schools a lot, Mm -hmm. tend not to do as well. And students who are chronically absent tend not to do as well. And those are three things that the school district has little control over. I mean, there are some things you can work to do Mm -hmm. and some policies around things like absenteeism, but a school district really doesn't have much control over of the poverty of its students or mobility. So this allows the State Department to kind of say, all right, most districts that have a poverty rate like yours have an effective rate of X. Mm -hmm. That allows you to compare your district to the expected rate given similar student characteristics. So your district may be doing better than expected, it might be doing about what would be expected, or it could be be lower than expected. Uh I think the department believes that's more meaningful than simply saying, how do you compare to the overall state average? If you are a high-poverty district, you are almost certainly going to be below the state average, but you might be doing better than expected. Whereas another district might might look good, but actually not doing as well as might be expected uh, con- uh, based on student demographic. This is all designed to give, frankly, local school boards and their community more uh, information, more sure. data. How well are they doing? Mm-hmm. Not just on things like test scores, mm-hmm. but looking and saying as your students are are leaving your system okay mm-hmm. 2 years out where is that graduating class mm-hmm. have they finished some type of post secondary credential are they still enrolled or are they kind of lost to the system? Or did they never pursue post-secondary education? And you know, we un- it's certainly understandable, as we say, even even at 70%, 70, 70, 75% of jobs requiring, you know that's still a quarter of jobs or more sure. that don't. It, it, this is not to say that every student has to go or should go mm-hmm. uh, to college or post-secondary education of some kind. But it is indicating that a higher number are going to have to do that to meet economic needs, and students who don't do that will tend to fall behind economically because it's just you are much more likely to be unemployed, you are much more likely to be in poverty if you do not have some type of post-secondary training and and certainly if you've not completed high school.
0: Well, and I think we've seen uh, studies that show Uh, Was it like 99 percent of the jobs created after since the recession are going to require a high school uh, diploma?
1: That that has been what the statistics are, Mm -hmm. Uh, a a major, major change in the work in the workforce. Now, Scott, it is worth noting, uh, very important, that there are some important exceptions Mm -hmm. to in effect, what is not counted right. by that success rate. we should probably mention a couple of those. First of all, uh, it doesn't count a student that may graduate um, in more than four years. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, if you have a student that is, maybe maybe they've had an illness, maybe they've had some, some issues like that, and but they eventually do through a dropout recovery program or, or something like that, getting a GED or something like that, they may complete high school. But if you don't do it in that four-year period, you are never counted for mm-hmm. your district as part of the system. Uh, the second thing is if you are a student that under federal privacy law opts out of participation and the data is not shared, the district will not have your information. There are some districts uh, that don't, colleges, post-secondary mm-hmm. institutions that don't participate, and there can occasionally be some issues of just sometimes Sometimes the student identification doesn't work or something like that. So there will be a small number of cases where a student might actually be enrolled that is not registered. And unfortunately, that's just a limitation of the system. Um, another thing that is, a, that is a, frankly, a problem in the system, at least in my view, is a student who completes a post-secondary credential in high school right. doesn't count. So, even if it, so a student who finishes a, a welding certificate in high school doesn't count under this system. That's happening more. And That's more. right, yeah. and because it only because the data relies on this National Student mm-hmm. Clearinghouse, and if that student did not get it as a college student, mm-hmm. uh, they they aren't counted. Unfortunately, students in the military, because the 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 service academies, for example, right. uh, do not share this information. Uh, they they would not be uh, considered. And then and then finally, uh, and maybe this would be obvious, but it's worth noting, a student that immediately goes to work, and maybe does fine. You know, may, maybe maybe they have a good job. Maybe they go back to the family farm. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they just do, we, as we all know, there are examples of students who might be considered successful mm-hmm. um, who don't go into post-secondary right. education or may take a few years off, then go back... Those are not counted. All this is is a snapshot of a particular graduating class within two years. So there are a lot of limitations. This is not perfect data, it never will be. But I think, it, and the purpose of it, mm-hmm. I, I think what the commissioner would say is here's what we know. If you don't graduate in four years, you are much less likely to ever graduate you may mm-hmm. but but if you but the best way to yeah. kind of ensure it is to try to do it in 4 years you may go back and complete a post secondary credential if you don't if you're not enrolled in your first two years out. Mm-hmm. Many students do, sure. but you're much less likely. On the other hand, data tells us that if a student enters a post-secondary program right after high school and stays enrolled for two years, their chances of completing it are much, much higher. So it's really, this is really designed mm-hmm. not to be a perfect reflection of student success, but just to allow your, your school mm-hmm. uh, to kind of look at, kind of comparatively, how long well are we doing? And I think when this came out a year ago, uh, there were school leaders who were surprised. And I think our challenge would be to our, to our schools now, to, to, to our viewers and listeners have you looked at your data? Are you surprised? Are you concerned? Maybe you're happy with it, but, but now you will know because in the past we never had a systematic way districts could do some surveys and some did some would say well we're gonna we we send a postcard to our students and ask what (laughs) you're doing Um, this is more reliable data still imperfect data
0: well and it it provides us a picture and uh, it says that our success rate is is in the 50s 55 percent or whatever but we need to get we need to get a higher percent right. uh, to to meet the demands of the workforce and things like that. So, in your third blog, you kind of go into this. You 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 make some suggestions as to what uh, schools should uh, possibly focus on and do to uh, increase that rate.
1: Well, and and one of the I think it starts with making sure that we understand. Why this is important? Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, people are unlikely to be worried about this if they think everything's fine. And, and again, quite frankly, if you look at your own data, if your district looks at this and you're comfortable, if your graduation rate is where you think it needs to be, if your if your kids are 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 successful, that's fine. But what we know is that in general, you know, uh, uh, for for most kids, if you don't finish high school you will be far behind in employment opportunities. Sure. If you don't have some type of post-secondary education, uh, you are you are more likely to struggle. And this has real implications for states as well. In one of the blogs, we have a chart which just kind of compares the percent of a state's population, the percent of that state's population that has uh, a four-year degree. We could break this down different ways, but just kind of for, for ease of comparison. What percent of the population has a four-degree? And it ranges nationally from about Twenty percent to almost forty five percent and then we compare that to uh, average earnings of the pop- of the people in that state and There is just again to me a, a rather dramatic, clear correlation. That says the higher percent of state's population, the more your edu- the more educated you are, mm-hmm. the higher your average earnings are going to be, and that's of course just simple math sure. because we know that's true at the individual level. But the implications for Kansas, I think, are the following: if we want to attract businesses that are relatively high paying and frankly the businesses that are growing Mm -hmm. then we're going to have to produce a workforce that can fill those jobs if we do that those are precisely the jobs and the businesses that pay wages that produce a more prosperous state more prosperous communities and frankly that the quite frankly, produces the tax base Mm -hmm. that then allows us to support a strong school system, a strong college system, good roads, good community amenities, all those things that we need. It it really is, if you build your education, if if you're better educated as a state, you're going to have higher levels of employment more earnings less poverty and that bill it's a virtuous cycle that builds on itself so mm-hmm. so the first thing is to understand why it's important the second thing I think that's important is to acknowledge that we can do better and I think you know uh, sometimes people in education can be a little defensive because they feel they're unfairly maligned mm-hmm. at, at times We have a, a strong tradition in Kansas of good educational outcomes I think there's sometimes people who who are, you know may bristle a little bit at the idea that we need to do better. And I think what we're sharing with this state is to say, look, we know we can do better because other states are doing better, and frankly, they're getting there faster than us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the problem. If we can look and see that states like, uh, well, frankly, Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota are all examples of states um, that are actually moving ahead of K. Frankly, Missouri mm-hmm. has been moving up. Colorado is a little unique because their economy, the way the state developed, very high tech economy, sure. they, interestingly enough, have a very highly educated adult population. Their K through 12 outcomes mm-hmm. actually sometimes are, are, are not as good. The, but the point is their, their kids kind of start with the advantages of having a well-educated uh, adult population. So the fact of the matter is, although we should be proud of, of, of our education system and accomplishments, we can do better. You know, the third thing we talk about is to say the board, the school board, superintendents and others, educational leaders, advocates have to be leaders in the community on why we need to do better what it'll take Mm -hmm. and get community buy-in to do that because uh, to get different results you usually have to do some things differently Mm -hmm. and doing things differently can be frightening it can be challenging and and frankly for many families whose kids they did well their kids should be doing well they want to hold on to what's working and so as we find ways to say, we need to make sure that we continue to, to help the kids who have been successful continue to be successful, that's important, um, but we need to make sure that we're helping kids who aren't there. One of the things we talk about in here, just some questions, uh, you know, have you, does your district have a long-term plan? Mm-hmm. You know, what, have you reviewed what are your goals? What are your objectives? Where do you want to be? Have you reviewed the data? Do you know? Are, are, have you have you looked at your updated sure. post secondary mm-hmm. report to see how you've done? And do you have time at every school board meeting where you talk about these issues? What are our goals? what are we doing to be so more successful? What are the programs and the curriculum and the plans and all the things we can do uh, to support that and and really it is it's absolutely critical that the school board be that liaison between what the educational what the educators, the teachers the administrators are, are trying to accomplish and making sure that the community understands and support that and it reflects your community's values. The next thing we talk about is the importance of building partnerships, and I think one thing we've heard from the school districts that are in the designated redesign, Mm -hmm. as well as many others, uh, is that making these kind of changes the school district cannot do it alone we can't make the changes simply that are going to happen in the classroom in the school building and that's it number one you have to involve the family and of course the family includes the child that's why one of the key elements of this is the individual plan of of Mm -hmm. of studies the individual plan for every child with a focus on post-secondary now sometimes this worries people because it's like, well, does my middle schooler have to decide what they want to do with their life? No, kids change their mind, will continue to change their mind. But what it's saying is, earlier on, we need to start thinking about, you know, if you believe you might want to be a lobbyist or reporter or Mm -hmm. something when you Mm -hmm. grow up, then, then you need to pay attention to what your uh, what, what your what your electives are? What your choices are? How will your you know? Are, are you serious about that? What type of opportunities can you have to accomplish that? Um, if again. You don't have the support of the parents as part of that. If they don't see that value and support it, it's going to be much more difficult to be successful. The other partnerships really involve other people in the community, and that includes everything from businesses that will provide um, internships and and job shadowing and and those sorts of things, uh, partnerships with higher education for concurrent enrollment opportunities, uh, partnerships for early childhood par- partnerships uh with your law enforcement to make sure we're addressing safety partnerships with uh health care providers to to make sure kids are mentally and physically safe you know we know kids are as we're asking them to to be better prepared mm-hmm. after school they face incredibly and rising challenges even within school from from depression and 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 social media and all those things we know school can't do it alone um Next thing we'd say is you you need to look for all the ways you can help your district be more responsive to individual student needs. And you know, I talk a little bit about um, how public education, uh, our our noble national experiment, uh, um, really began with the idea of, of uh, uh, fairly standardized. If you're going to if you're going to help all kids in a kind of industrial age model, things had to be pretty standardized. And of course, we wanted education, public education, to be fair and equitable. So we talked a lot about, you know, you, you treat kids the same way. But as our as our society has changed, as our economy has changed, as needs have changed, it becomes more and more clear that we're going to have to be more individualized. Sure. And that means not treating kids exactly the same, but, mm-hmm. but recognizing within their differences you may need to be different. And I think this does create sometimes real challenges. What is what is equity? Is equity that every child who's recognized as a successful graduate has done exactly the same thing? Or is it saying success is that child and that student and that family said, this is what I'm going to need to do to prepare for my interests and my goals, and I was successful at meeting that. Mm -hmm. And that may look different from other kids. It means looking at different ways of granting credit It will look at different yeah. ways perhaps of how long we expect kids to be in school it, it you know it comes down to we still view school as you start at a certain time you go six and a half hours it's over you start sometime in august you end by memorial day you take time off getting out of that sense that that's that's the only way to deliver education mm-hmm. it's challenging because it does it's not easy if it was it have been done but question is is your is your board, is your community, are you looking at ways to say how do we respond to the different needs of our students? And then and then I think the last thing that we say that's really important uh, is to make sure you are taking advantage of the new resources the state is providing. We talked about that at the very beginning. Districts for the first time in years have been able to ask themselves, do we need some new programs? Mm-hmm. Do we need to rehire some positions lost? Can we do more with career counseling? Can we expand our career and tech ed programs, our our, our concurrent enrollment, all of those things that have, where resources have been a barrier, it's less a barrier. Um, things like again the the testing program that you you can now. All kids can now and, and take the ACT. You're going to have a better sense because there there are certainly studies that say even the fee to take those tests sure. have been a barrier for some kids. The if fee, you don't the
0: transportation, that, all, yeah, all,
1: yeah, all all those issues hurdles. have been there. So mm-hmm. so the, the 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 legislature, the governor should be commended. Sure. They took a step uh, that that can help in that way. So how is your district responding to that? How are you making sure that you're really making sure kids who now A financial barrier has been removed, but what are you doing to make sure they have the academic preparation or, you know, working with the family to make sure they understand what it's about? Those are challenges uh, that are going to need to be there. Uh, and, And I think it is also really important to make sure that you're helping your community understand what you're doing with the additional dollars, Uh, How you believe it's being used to strategically make your system better, Uh, and frankly, what we would not be able to do if that was lost or lost in the future, Mm -hmm. because school funding is going to continue to be a campaign issue. There are those that are that still believe we're spending too much on our schools. We shouldn't have put this in, and we shouldn't put any more in. We certainly shouldn't do it because the court says so. So, helping helping people understand how those dollars are being used, what is the purpose, and what more we need to do is a critical critical part of it as well
0: well and I think that's a that's a supremely important point I mean we cannot stand still I mean everything is telling us that you know we have to we have great things going on in our schools I mean Kansas public schools are are great uh, but uh, we we have to improve I mean the the future uh, economy and workforce demands it and uh, it's going to require everyone's uh, assistance to do that Uh, These blogs are, again, uh, look up Education Report. You
1: can Google that or... Uh... Google it, and then I'm sure you'll want to bookmark it or subscribe or whatever. Uh, we hope if this is reaching people in a different way, you're also aware that uh, almost daily, uh, KASB does our, our news briefs, which has links to everything we publish, other ways you can access this information, and all you have to do is let us know you want to get those. There's, there's no charge. Um, and of course, we also post all this information on Twitter, Facebook, everywhere way we can think of so uh, there ought to be ways you can find it and keep getting it and if if people keep reading and listening we'll keep producing more information yeah
0: this is great information okay well thank you all right thank you thank you